out of curiosity, I went to Google uh, and I ran an internet search on the word love. Typed in love, hit enter, and in 0.13 seconds, not even a full second, 0.13 seconds, it returned 1,720,000,000 results in 0.13 seconds. Well, I was curious, so I typed in the word God, G-O-D. It only returned 485 million results in 0.24 seconds. So I thought, I wonder about the word Jesus. How many results would that bring? Well, it brought even less. It only returned 197 million results in 0.45 seconds. I concluded then that it's safe to say that love is a topic that most people are interested in. I mean, 1,720,000,000 results in 0.13 seconds says a whole lot. Think about all the songs, all the poems, all the literature, all the plays, all the stories that revolve around love. Love is something that we all want to experience. Perhaps you heard about the young man who determined to win the affection of a certain young lady. But the problem was that young lady refused to talk to him anymore. Well, he decided he had a plan that was going to work. He decided the way to her heart was through the mailbox. He decided he was going to write this young lady love letters. And so he wrote a love letter every single day. Six, seven times a week she would go and she would get a love letter from him. Well, you know what? This went on for a while. She still did not respond. So he decided, I'm going to increase my output. So he began to write more love letters and he increased his output to three notes every 24 hours. So every day he's writing three love notes. And in all, he sent that young lady, he sent that young lady more than 700 love letters. And you know what happened? She fell in love and ended up marrying the postman. <laughs> It's something we all want to experience. Now, think about it for a moment. Don't answer out loud. But if you had to define love in one sentence, could you do it? What would you say? How would you define love in one sentence? That's a challenge, isn't it? Because we kind of know what we're talking about, what we mean when we say love. But how do you say it? How, how do we put it? And even when some people try to define love, what they end up saying really doesn't define love at all. In fact, they may be talking about something totally different. Uh, a lot of what passes for love in our world, beloved, is nothing but lust. Hear me again. A lot of what passes for love in our world is nothing but lust. Lust, not true love. Well, from a biblical point of view... And by the way, that's the most important and only accurate view we can have. What is love from a biblical point of view? Well, I couldn't help but think about the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Would you turn to your Bibles there? I want to start there today. We're going to end up in the book of Ruth. Uh, but we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 13. And we want to see what God says about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Familiar passage to many, but listen to it again with fresh ears today. First Corinthians chapter 13 
We'll begin reading at verse number one. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail, whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And now abideth faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these. The greatest of these is what? Is love. The greatest of these is love. Cyril Barber, a Bible scholar, wrote a sentence about love I want to share with you today. And I want you to hear what he said about love. He said, from a biblical point of view, from the Bible's point of view, love is seen in our desire for the highest good in the one loved. Now, listen, say it again. Love is seen in our desire for the highest good and the one love, even to the point of self-sacrifice. I'm going to say it again. I want you to put it all back together. Ready? Love is seen in our desire for the highest good and the one love, even to the point of self-sacrifice. Think about that for a moment. And that rules out so much of what passes for love today. So much of our so-called love is self-centered. It's selfish. We're not really nearly as concerned about the one we supposedly love as we are about ourselves. That's not biblical love. Biblical love is the desire for the highest good and the one we love, even if it means sacrifice on our part. Now, love, listen, love is a lot more than an emotion or a feeling. Feelings, feelings, feelings. We, we like to talk about feelings and we like to experience feelings. And feelings are a part of us and emotions are a part of us. But love is so much more than just an emotion or a feeling. In fact, love, from a biblical point of view, love is a command and love is a choice. You say, what do you mean love is a command? How can you command? Well, listen to what the Bible says. Mark 12, 29 through 31. Jesus answered them, the first of all the commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. You say, well, OK, well, what else? Well, John 13, 
34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How? If you come to church together? No. <laughs> if you go out and just eat together? No. If you have love one to another. Love shows that we truly are disciples. It's a command and it's a choice. We are to choose to love. To love is to seek the highest good for the one we love, even to the point of self-sacrifice. Now, I bring you all this because we're looking this morning in Ruth again, the little book of Ruth, chapter three. So go ahead and turn to Ruth, chapter three. Now, we're studying this delightful little Old Testament book. In a study we're calling Romance and Redemption. And today we enter into some of that romance and redemption. And in chapter 3 of this book, we see some pictures of love. Now, I'll be honest with you. You're finding Ruth chapter 3. Years ago, when I was just a teenager, uh, I, I tried to teach some in the book of Ruth. It, it may have actually been the very first book I ever tried to teach at all as a member of our youth group. I think we were taking turns and so my turn came up and I was going to try to teach some in the book of Ruth. And I'll be honest with you, when I came to chapter three, I found it to be a little weird. I really did. It, it seems so strange to me. And some of what we're going to read about this morning is probably going to sound somewhat strange to you. But it's not strange. We have to be careful about reading in our day into the Bible day. In other words, thinking about America, thinking about Anson County, thinking about today where we live and reading that back into the scripture. We have to be careful about that. I can guarantee you if Ruth and Boaz walked in church this morning, they probably think we're a bit strange, too. They'd look around and say, oh, I don't know about those people. Listen, what's going on here is not strange. We're going to see that. And let me bring you up to the date where we are. Maybe you uh, missed a week or two. Maybe you're here for the very first time. Let me bring you up to where we are in this story. Naomi, Naomi, her husband and two sons, they went from the land of, Mo went from the land of Bethlehem to Moab because there was a famine uh, there in Bethlehem. And while in, in Moab, Naomi's husband dies. She's left there with her two sons and her two sons end up marrying some Moabite women and they get married. And then all of a sudden we find in the story that her two sons die. Then Naomi, she's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. There she is with her two daughters in law and one of the daughters in law. They, she goes back to her people. But one of them named Ruth, the one who uh, name is there on this book. She wouldn't leave Naomi. She decided she was going to go where Naomi was going to go, stay with Naomi. Uh, her God would be uh, Naomi's God. Naomi's God would be her God. And, and they returned back to where Naomi and them originally came from. And we find that Ruth decides she's going to go out and she's going to glean in the fields. Back then, uh, according to the Bible, they were required to leave behind some uh, grain and so forth for those who were widows, those who were troubled, uh, those who were foreigners. And so Ruth goes out and begins gleaning, picking up the grain, and she comes to the field of Boaz. Well, Boaz actually is one of Naomi's husband's relatives. That's very, very important. His name is Boaz, and he's very kind to Ruth. In fact, he tells her, you know, don't go anywhere else. You glean in my field. You stay by the young maidens that I have. You can eat and you can drink with my, my servants. Boaz is quite the guy. Some believe that he was interested in Ruth right from the very beginning. Well, the harvest season goes through, and she's out gleaning day by day, and it's come to an end, and we're at the winnowing time. 
You all know what the winnowing time is, right? We got a lot of farmers among us, but, you know, I had to go back and look it up, make sure I knew too. Well, let's just explain. When they had grain back then, it went through several steps. First of all, of course, you harvested the grain. And then next, they would take that grain and they would separate the husk there from the grain. And they would oftentimes be trodden down by animals. So the animals would do the separation there. And next, here's what they, they would winnow that stuff by throwing it up in the air in a strong breeze. And as they threw it up in the air in a strong breeze, the breeze would blow away the chaff and the good grain would fall to the ground. And then they could gather the grain together and have it and put it together and use it. And then during the harvest time, many times when they bagged up the grain, they would stay out there uh, near the threshing floor to guard the grain because people would want to run off with it. So they would stay there and guard the grain. Now, you need to know all that because that's where we are in chapter three. Are you ready to read it? Let's do it. Ruth, chapter three. Then Naomi, her mother in law, said unto her, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. So you know what he's doing. They're out there preparing the grain and throwing it up and gathering the grain together. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down, thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie and thou shalt go in and cover his feet and lay down. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto him, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Verse six. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread, therefore, thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou, the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know one another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. And he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee. Uh, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, Go not empty into thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he finished the thing this day. Now, we have several pictures of love here in Ruth chapter three. First of all, we have Naomi's love, Naomi's love. Naomi has been through quite a bit in the last little while. She seems to have lost everything that really mattered to her, except for her daughter-in-law. She wrestled with bitterness against God. 
Go back to chapter one and look at what she says in verses 20 and 21. She said unto them in chapter one, verses 20 and 21, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the almighty have dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord had brought me home again empty. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord have testified against me and the almighty have afflicted me. She's brought to a point, I believe she's struggling with bitterness against God. And then we begin to see a softer side of Naomi in chapter two. And now we really see it. We come to chapter three. She wants Ruth to have security. She wants Ruth to have a home. She wants Ruth to have a husband. It says in verse number one of chapter three, Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, notice the tenderness there. Shall I not seek rest for thee that it may be well with thee? Remember back then these widows were going to be destitute and hard pressed. And so they needed the support. They needed a home. They needed a husband back in those days, especially. And she calls Ruth, her her daughter in verse one, and she she gives her a plan to catch a man, a plan to catch a man and not just any man. She says, here's how you're going to catch the man, Boaz himself. Now, notice she mentions to her that Boaz is a kinsman. He's a relative. He is a relative. Now, why is that important? Well, here's where the great theme of Ruth comes in. Listen, the theme of the kinsman redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, the relative redeemer. Now, without getting too technical, what does that mean, preacher? Well, I'll just read to you from MacArthur's notes in his Bible. He says a close relative could redeem a family member sold into slavery. Think about your family. Would any of your family members buy you out of slavery? They probably just ride by and wave a little horn with them. But they could do that back then. They ought to do that. They could also redeem a land that was sold uh, under economic hardship. And they could also redeem the family name. How would they do that? They would do that through a leverate marriage. Now, you all know about leverate marriages, right? We talked about that before. Yeah, I have to go back and review it all the time, too. Let's go back and review it. What is that all about, preacher? A leverate marriage. Well, think about it. Here's Ruth, here's Naomi, and Naomi's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. There are no grandkids. What's that mean about the name of their family? It was done unless something happened. That's where the leverate marriage comes in. Mark this passage down. Write it down if you're taking notes. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. Here's how it works. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, so they die childless. The wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Listen, her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And and this not only the brother, but a very close relative could, as we find out here. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother, which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. You see what's happening here? A close relative would go in, would have a child with this wife, and that child would then take the name and carry on the name of the one who had passed away. Now, we don't do that today here, and that may seem a little bit unusual to us, but that's what they did. It was so important. Listen to what it says later in that. If the man liked not to take his brother's wife, he says, I don't want to do that. Then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, my husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. 
What would happen then? Verse eight says the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders, loose his shoe from off his foot, spit in his face. This is serious stuff, beloved. This is not something they played around with. Spit in his face and shall answer and say, so shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. That's what they did. That's what they said. That's what the Bible is very clear on that. Very clear that God said, listen, this is how it's going to be to raise up the name. And if he doesn't do it. You can spit at his face, remove his shoe, and he'll bear that uh, shame throughout his life. So you see what Naomi's doing here is she's planning. She's got this all worked out to have a liberate marriage. Boaz would marry Ruth and continue the family name for Elimelech. He would also redeem the land. Go to chapter four. You still with me now? Stay with me. Chapter four. He's going to redeem the land as well. Look at verse three. Here's what it says in chapter four. We'll look at this probably next week. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, buy it before the inhabitants, for the elders of my people. If thou will redeem it, redeem it. If thou will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee. And I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. What's he redeeming? Go back to verse three. He said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, sell up a partial of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. So we know the idea here and we'll find out later that he does indeed do this. So she basically says, Ruth, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get this plan rolling and you're going to end up marrying Boaz. Now, here's what I want you to do. Notice what it says in verse two of chapter three. Boaz, he's out there. He's winnowing barley. He's at the threshing floor. Here's what I want you to do. Look at verse three. Wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Put raiment upon thee. All right. Now, listen. Naomi's a smart woman. She says to Ruth, take a bath. Put on some perfume. Put on your good dress. Because we got a plan to catch a man. Guys, listen, you that are serious hunters, I mean serious hunters now. You're going out for the big buck. You, you guys, many of you. You know, you take a a bath in that special soap. (laughs) And guys, you know, you put on some of that special scent that's really appealing to those big bucks. And you put on your camouflage and you, you go out there and you're ready to hunt down that deer. The same things here, except she's not hunting a deer. She is hunting a man. And just like the deer, Boaz has no idea what's about to happen. What's about to take place now? We all understand this. I mean, she's a smart lady. Listen, you know, take a bath, fix yourself up, put some makeup, you know, do the whole nine yards. Get yourself looking good. And some believe maybe one of the reasons she says this is because perhaps Ruth was still wearing the garments of mourning. You know, she's still mourning her husband's death. And perhaps she still was as she's out gleaning in the fields. But now when she appears in new clothes and a new setting, it should say to Boaz, the days of my mourning are done. Now, she, I really believe Naomi wanted what was best for Ruth. She was acting in love. Look again at verse one. She says, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? Uh, we don't know how old Naomi was. We know she didn't go out gleaning in the fields. 
Perhaps because she was too old to do that. We know she was obviously older than Ruth. We knew that more than likely her life would end before Ruth's. And so she said, I want the best for you. I want that security. I want you to have a husband and I want you to have a home. Naomi's love. But then I noticed Ruth's love. We don't have to look very far to find Ruth's love, do we? It's all throughout this book. If you go back to the very first chapter, here's what she says to her mother-in-law in verse 16 of chapter 1. Entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if all but death part thee and me. Her love goes all the way back to where she says, Naomi, I'm not going to leave you. I'll leave everything I know, my family, my home, my homeland, everything I know, I'm going with you. And then we see her love continues as she says, you know what? Let me go out and glean in the fields as she goes out gleaning day after day after day. And she's caring for her mother-in-law. Now, listen, Ruth was not desperate to get married. Because I want you to notice what it says in chapter 3 and verse 10. This is Boaz's words. He says to Ruth, listen, you follow us, not young men, whether poor or rich. Now she's been out there among all these young men and she hasn't followed after them. She hasn't made herself, you know, uh, look at me and, and, and I'm interested in you. We, we think it implies there, of course, that Boaz was an older man. And perhaps that's one of the reasons he hadn't even already tried to redeem her, because, of course, he had a relative that was closer in line. And also he probably thought, well, you know, here's a young lady and I'm an older man and she would be interested in me. We find Ruth's love evident again because she's not interested in some young man. She's not even interested in what's best for her. She's interested in carrying on the family name because she says to her mother-in-law as she gives her this whole plan here, of what she's going to do. She says there, verse five, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. You see, it was love on Ruth's part that carried her to that field day after day. It was love that carried her to that threshing floor that evening. It was love. Love is what united Ruth's life to Naomi in the first place. To the point she says, I'm going to die where you die. You remember our definition of love? Love is in our desire for the highest good of the one love, even to the point of self-sacrifice. Over and over and over again, she sacrificed for a mother-in-law. For a mother-in-law's family. Now I really believe that Boaz and Ruth. They love one another. And it's going to be a wonderful story as we see. But she wanted what was best for her mother-in-law. Well let's go to the threshing floor. And see what happened that night. And we're going to see Boaz's love. Let me mention right off the bat. There are some that you'll read. There are some that you'll study. There are some that you'll listen to. Who will make everything that happened that night out. To be sinful and sexual. And sensual. And they'll make it out that Boaz was drunk. And that he and Ruth had sexual relations that night. But beloved, hear me well. That is not here. That is not here in the scripture. And I think you'll see it very clearly in a moment. That's not what happened. This is not a sinful act taking place here. Now look here, if you will. She tells her to do all these things. Look at verse 7. It says, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. That's why some say, you know, he was drunk. No, it doesn't say he was drunk. It says he was happy. He had a good harvest. And you'll see in a moment he was not drunk. Now, he obviously falls asleep and she comes softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. 
Now get this picture. Here's Boaz at the end of a heap of corn. And by the way, you that are married to all the farmers, how do you reckon their feet smells at the end of the day? That's true love, isn't it? But in all seriousness, she comes and she uncovers his feet. His feet. Some believe that was to eventually get him to wake up because it's kind of hard to sleep with cold feet, isn't it? But she lays there in the stillness and the silence of that night. And it came to pass at midnight, verse 8. The man was afraid and turned himself to behold a woman lay at his feet. You know, something startles you in the middle of the night. That's a rude awakening. But this man wakes up and realizes there's somebody here with me. And he realizes it's a woman. And he said, who art thou? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? She answered. Notice how she answered. I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread, therefore, thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. In other words, cover me. The picture here, if you will, is in all honesty, Ruth is proposing marriage to Boaz. In other words, she's asking him to perform the duty of a kinsman redeemer. She's asking him to perform and and be involved in a levirate marriage. Now, imagine he just awoke out of sleep and she's saying this. And and how do I know, beloved, how am I so sure that Boaz is not drunk here? Look at verse 10. Look at what he says. Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. Listen, I've been around some drunks in my life. I've never heard him talk like that. Have you? Look what else he says in verse 11. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Now, here's the point where the story gets real interesting. Notice what he says next in verse 12. Howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Now, I don't know if Ruth knew that or if Naomi knew that, but Boaz knew it. I think it tells us that perhaps Boaz had already been thinking about this. He knew there was somebody else in line before him. Notice what he says in verse 13. Tarry this night and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well Let him do the kinsman's part. What's love? We said love is the seeking of the highest good for the one love, even to the point of self-sacrifice. I believe with all my heart, Boaz, he wanted to marry this girl. But he said, listen, the main thing is not what I want. The main thing is that you are cared for. And if that nearer kinsman, the one that's nearer than I, if he'll marry you, if he'll do the levirate marriage, if he'll do all this, let it be. That's fine. That's what matters. But notice what he says. If he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord lie down until the morning. Then they're very careful here. It says lie back down. It's very dangerous for her to go out in the middle of the night. You know, very dangerous for her to be out going back home. And very early in the morning. He didn't want it to look improper or, or have anybody say anything. You know, tongues would wag just like crazy if they'd seen her leaving. 
very carefully, very discreetly. He gives her grain to take back and sends her on her way before anybody can even see that she's been there. And of course, we find her coming back in and talking with Naomi. So I say Boaz is love. A picture of love, a picture of love for her, a picture of love for her, for her mother-in-law. He says to her, listen, I don't want you to go to your mother-in-law uh, empty handed. I want you to take back this grain. Some think it was a down payment, you know, for the bride, if you will, or it's a gift, if you will. His love. So we find Naomi's love. We find Ruth's love. We find Boaz's love. But there's one more picture we gotta talk about real quickly. And that's God's love. You see, it was God. Who brought Ruth and Boaz together in the first place. God was in control of all that was happening. And by the way, beloved, God is still in control of all that is happening. He still is. You see, friend, of all the pictures that we could view of love, his is the greatest. We can't even talk about love without talking about God. Why? Because God is love. First John four, eight says he that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? For God is love. We have beautiful pictures of love here in Ruth three, but the greatest picture of love is found in John three, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John fifteen thirteen says this greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You say, Naomi says, listen, I'm seeking a rest for you, Ruth. I'm seeking a rest for you. She needed her kinsman redeemer. We need our redeemer, too. We need our redeemer, too. We need the Lord Jesus. And just as Ruth came helpless and humble to the feet of Boaz asking for redemption, we need to come to the feet of the Lord Jesus, humble and helpless, asking For his redemption. Ruth needed Boaz to do for her what she could not do for herself. So we need to come to the Lord Jesus asking him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We need the forgiveness of our sin. We need the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder on this final Sunday, on this Memorial Day weekend in 2010, the last Sunday in May. I wonder, beloved, do you have rest today? Do you have rest? Do you know rest? Do you have the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's what it says in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest into your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, we said love is what? It's seeking the highest good for the one love, even to the point of self-sacrifice. That's what Jesus did for us, beloved. He loved us so much. He says, I'll die for them. I'll give my life for them. I'll shed my blood for them because I love them. God loves you in sending Jesus. Jesus loves you in dying in your place. Do you have that rest today? Are you still wrapped up in this world and sin and the lack of peace and hope and comfort? Friend, today you can have rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to come to Christ today. But then for those of us who know Christ, 
Real quickly, what do we learn from these lessons here? What do we learn from Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and their story? What can we take away from it with, from a, uh, with us today from this story? I think we can take this, these pictures of love. Let me ask you something. Do you love like this? Do you love like this? Perhaps if you're honest today, listen, don't close up shop. We're not done. Listen, perhaps you've grown self-centered. Perhaps you've grown self-absorbed. Perhaps if you're honest, you've grown just plain selfish. Now, I'll be honest, I'm a pastor. I battle this at times. Not loving like I should love. It's very easy to grow weary in this. Perhaps you're there today. And you're so self-absorbed and self-centered and selfish at this moment. You're not loving as Jesus would have you love. Would you come to him today and say, Lord Jesus, melt my heart. Melt my heart. And help me to love like you love. Help me to seek the highest good for others. Even to the point of self-sacrifice. Would you do that, friend? Would you do that, Christian? Would you do that today? Remember this. Love is seen. And I desire to see the highest good in the one loved. Even to the point. Even to the point. Even if it means self-sacrifice. Pictures of love. The greatest picture is the Lord Jesus. May we love like he loved. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Before we conclude our service today, I want to give an opportunity, if you don't know Christ as Savior, to come to him in repentance. Crying out to him, knowing that God's word promises, if you call upon him, he will save you. You're lost, you're undone, you can't save yourself. You can't earn your way, make your way, be good enough, do enough. Christ did it all on the cross, shedding his blood, being buried, then rise again victorious. If you come today in faith, friend, you can have eternal life. Would you do that? Would you do that right where you are? Would you pray to him and ask him to forgive you of your sin and make you his child? And then, Christian, I wonder today, how are you loving others? Are you loving like Jesus loved? Perhaps today you need to come and you need to say, Lord, melt my heart and help me to love like Jesus loved. Heavenly Father, bless this invitation now. Watch over us. Be with us. Help us now as we sing. I pray that you'd work in hearts and lives. If someone's lost today, bring them to saving knowledge of Christ. For the believer who maybe is caught up in a world of self. May they lay that down again afresh and anew today and pick up Christ and carry forth his love into this lost and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.